I said this to a few, uh, to a few guests. I've seen so many like self-help people and people that are trying to like help you be an entrepreneur and any I, I just don't trust salespeople, right? And so I'm very skeptical, optimistically skeptical maybe, but I'm very skeptical when I meet anybody that's trying to tell me, and this is going to sound horrible, but when anyone's trying to tell me that I can do it too, that like scares me. You understand what I'm saying? Totally. And I love that you start there. I think that's such an important place to to come from, right? Because so the the coach I work with is the coach who's helped me basically create what I'm doing now and, and help bring it out. And, you know, he said to it from the start, he was like, I hate, like you, I hate selling. I hate salespeople. My first job was actually in sales and, you know, it, it, it helped me learn to kind of speak and then work with people and all this stuff. But he, he was so adamant that it's like, people have had enough of this, you know? It's like, we're getting sold to everywhere we turn, left, right, and center. Everything you see is like subliminal messaging on Instagram and social media telling us that we're not enough and that we need to buy this person or this company's product to make ourselves better kind of thing. So I totally get it. Um, you know, I guess, I guess that's, it's, it's kind of, I haven't really got, got like an, got, got like an answer because I think the most salesy person, something, the most salesy thing that I could do at this stage would kind of be turning around and be like, Oh, you know, this is why, why I'm different. And so why, why you should, you know, come with me. I guess what, what I'm looking to do is like, all that really matters is, is connecting with people with their own inner voice, you know, their own intuition. And it's like, if something feels off about me, something feels off about anyone else that you're, sort of witnessing or, or speaking to whatever it is, then then you listen to that voice, you know, and sort of sort of connect with it because there's an abundance of, of, uh, of coaches and, and, and people out there that are doing this work now. And I think um, as more and more people do this, as more and more people talk about the message, because actually it's not, it's not the coaching that matters, it's really not the money. It's the message that's, that matters to me and to a lot of other people as well. And, and that message is coming through, whether it's through coaching, whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through, people discovering, you know, books and, and self-help stuff, it doesn't really matter, right? And what, what matters is that you as an individual find someone or something that you can resonate with to, to, to find, you know, what works for you, basically. That's that's what I would say to that. Yeah. I'm, hmm. I, I, I totally, I, I like that, of course. And I feel like most people, even like people that are trying to take money from you, most people usually end up starting that way, or at least when they're younger, that's how they feel. Like, if I want to help people, if I want to do something, this is how it is. I'm trying to give quality to people um, that they haven't been able to get before, and that's what's going to make me different. The difference between me and them is I actually want to do something. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen to you, and and I really hope it doesn't, and I can't see it happening after I've consumed a lot of your uh, media, but I feel like what happens a lot is people have the best intentions and then they get corrupted by themselves and by others and by greed. And greed is it's part of the human yeah. condition. Do you think, and this is going to be hard to answer, because of course you're going to want to say no, but do you think there's ever a chance where you're going to get too greedy? And of course you could recover afterwards, but do you think there will be a moment? Hell yeah. Dude, it's happened already. I'm going to be totally honest about that. Like, Because there's a balance here, right? Because a lot of this journey is, is I think we, we start off and we're kind of like, there's a lot of spiritual bypassing when it comes to wealth. You know, it's like this money is the root of all evil. The desire to be rich is seen as a bad thing. That's total shit because we need more conscious millionaires in the world. We need more people who are rich and doing stuff with that money that is good. You know, money is an energy. It's a tool. It's like a hammer. You can use it to knock people around the head. 
like a lot of the elite are doing at the moment, if yep. you call them that. Or you can use it to, to put up pictures, you know. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with, with pursuing wealth. I think that there's more than enough to go around for us all to be wealthy. And, and I believe in the value of what I can offer people for that to be to be rewarded, right? Mm. But the other side to it is that we've all got this this ego, this part of us that, that you know, is about me, 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 and that kind of um, wants to wants to feed that and wants to fuel that. And, and like you say, you know, greed is, 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 is part of the human condition that, that, you know, um, we're, we're kind of doing this work to overcome. Um, I've definitely felt that come in and I've openly said that to, you know, clients or prospective clients where I've been like, hmm, do you know what? I, I wasn't serving you as best as I could here. I realized that I was coming from a place of trying to get, not trying to give. And, it will happen again. And um, fortunately, that, that's why I have a coach who, who keeps me accountable to this and, and calls me on my shit when I, when I feel that I do slip into that. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that trying to put yourself forward as this perfect person who, oh, you know, it's because I say like it's not about the money. I, I want to balance that by saying that it's not all about the money in the sense of like money does come into it, as I've explained to you, that, you know, I, I believe already, as I said, that, you know, we should be paid for what we do. Of course. Yeah, uh, no. But yeah, it's just a balance, isn't it? And just just course correcting when we slip into that. That's what matters, not being perfect. I, I guess what I um, you answered a lot of what I was asking, but um, to be more specific on my end, what I meant was, of course, money is a part of it. I think everyone deserves to get paid for what they're good at and what they try to accomplish, right? For for their achievements, I think everyone should be able to get paid uh, correctly and well. Um, but I guess what I mean is, and it's not you. It's it's all the other self-help people, all the other build-your-own-business people, all these people that um, are, like I said before, salespeople, and they create huge communities. It's, it's kind of like, I, I'm kind of depicting a, uh, a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme where it's like, uh, it's trickle-down self-help, where it's like, I'll help you, and I'll help you, and then they'll help you, and then those people will help you, and I feel like um, no one ever actually gets better they just hold on to hope and hope is a great thing, but if it's all you have, I don't think you'll ever get better. So to narrow this down now is I'm asking, I guess, do you feel like you or anyone, you know, in this community that you have would ever get so carried away where they forget that although they have to make money and although they also want to help people uh, get better, they end up emphasizing and making money the more important thing rather than the humans they're trying to help. I love that. And I, I, I just want to say, I love how deep you're taking this straight away. I think it's, it's great. Um, yeah, of course it's possible, you know, whether you're talking about me or, or anybody else. Um, again, I, I'm not going to try and stand up here and, and pretend I'm a saint and, and don't have these, these things within me. I, I believe in my purpose. I believe in sort of, you know, my ability to kind of stay focused on my mission and what it is that I'm trying to achieve as, as the goal rather than being sort of, you know, hijacked by that money. But but you asked, is it possible? And am I seeing that within the community that I've got so far? Yeah. Of course it's possible. And no, I'm not yet. But, um, you know, that's, I guess, something to, to always be aware of, isn't it? So you said before you have someone coaching you as well, right? And yeah. I think that's kind of how you started. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how, how often 
do you need, because we're talking about problems that may come up in the community or problems that may come up with a client, how often do you need to go to your coach and ask for help? I mean, it really depends, you know. So I, I have I have meetings with him every week because that, that's what I that's what I kind of pay for as part of, of us working together. Do I need to go to him every week? No. Mm-hmm. Sometimes though, I need to see him more than once a week. Um, you know, there's no there's no formula for this, right? And I think if we take it with with the, the way that I coach with my clients, yeah, we meet every week. Um, again, sometimes they we can meet and we're like, you know, we kind of just have more of a relaxed chat because not a lot's come up that week. Sometimes we may feel that, you know, this is a really difficult week and there's a lot to process. So we kind of need to, we need to work through more. Um, because it's not, this journey isn't, I think part of the issue with this is that like people go into self-help thinking that I'm broken and I need to be fixed. And then there's this idea of this end goal, this finish line, but you know, I don't think that it ever ends. And this is why I think I'll always have a coach and my coach will always have a coach. And his, you know, it's the same kind of way because I'm always going to be working on myself. And and, and I, I would hope that's true of anybody that I work with as well or that I coach, you know, that because we understand in that case that it's like, I'm not trying to reach some finished article whereby when I get to that point, everything will be okay. You know, I realized that actually the meaning is right here and right now, you know, and it's kind of the process of growth, which is what, which, what counts. Does that kind of answer your question? I think, yeah, I think you answered a lot more than just my question too, which is of course a good thing. Um, you, you, you spoke about it a few times and I'm sorry for any of my regular listeners cause I, I keep bringing it up. Um, you spoke a little bit about Buddhism, and if not Buddhism, like essentially, it you kind of just you danced around kind of what it was, and what you just said reminded me of that about how it, it's a constant, right? You just got to keep going, you got to work out. It's not, it's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be better. It's just going to gradually become better than it was yesterday, but never perfect, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, or if you'd like to explain in a different way, please do. Um, a, a very shallow base layer form of buddhism is accepting that life is struggle then no matter what you choose to do you're going to find pain and struggle in it so the best way to conduct your life is not to avoid struggle but pick the struggles that best suit you meaning if i have the option of being a school teacher or a plumber and let's say i hate being a school teacher and i hate being a plumber however let's say i hate being a school teacher more then i'm going to choose a plumber i'm going to still struggle but at least I don't have to wake up every single day and make a lesson plan. So the point is choose the correct struggles. And by doing that, you will then find a greater meaning and find greater happiness. Is that You kind of talk about that, right? Yeah, I, I definitely do. And, and I would agree with that. I think, I think where I draw a slight distinction, you know, the way you put it across there, it's almost like it's about choosing the lesser of two evils, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my mindset would be that actually stop looking at struggle as a negative thing and start looking at it as, you know, a path through which we can learn to be comfortable, right? It's like, it's not, there's that quote that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Suffering is caused by resistance. Suffering is caused by going through something uncomfortable, but not wanting that to be the case, believing that life should be comfortable, believing that we should be feeling another way, right? And my take on it is that the, the, the chasing comfort is, is, is never is, is a bit of a paradox is never going to get us what we what we're wanting 
if we can lean into discomfort and obviously choose the discomforts that we want instead of life choosing them for us, you know, life will always choose some of them for us, but, you know, the more that we are intentionally choosing discomfort and kind of preparing ourselves and growing, the less we're going to be slapped in the face, basically. Um, you know, if we can do that, then we can find a lot of meaning and, and enjoyment in doing that. You know, for me now, like doing things like having a cold shower, freezing cold shower every morning, it becomes almost a little bit enjoyable, whereas before it was difficult. It, it's that kind of thing. It's the way that I choose to look at it. But in essence, yeah, it is It is pretty much what you were saying. So then I want to lead into the, this next question, whereas with all that being said and how you feel about life and how you've conducted yourself and now this is where you're at, how, how did you get here? Love it. Uh, there's a long and a short answer to that. <laughs> I'm ready for both. Sure. It's a. Uh, it's been a crazy. It's been a crazy year and a half, really, for me. Right, and, and it has been for most people. Let, let's say what 18 months since since kind of COVID really really came. Um, you know, really, I can say that that I've had this part of me that has always felt called to to do something, to, 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 to make a difference in some way. When I was growing up, I used to repress and, you know, ignore that part of me because I thought, well, who, who am I to do this? I'm not, you know, who am I to, to be anybody? Um, I felt that I was arrogant for having those, those sort of ideas about, about what I could become, you know? Um, and I felt that I was being, yeah, being arrogant and being kind of egoic, basically. Mm-hmm. But I still always had that within me. Um, I just didn't, as I said, I didn't really bring it into the light properly. Um, when COVID came, living by myself, um, you know, all the things that I used to use, that I used to rely on to give my life meaning, give my life enjoyment, um, what I now realize many of them were just ways to, you know, avoid facing my insecurities, avoid facing my pain things like partying and enjoy, just enjoying life, right? What, what a normal sort of 24-year-old guy would be doing in, in the city. Um, with those taken away, there was nothing left for, for me to kind of distract myself anymore. And there was no one left either. It was just me and my own thoughts in a tiny flat for three months, um, you know, and, and, and not very good self-help practices or awareness. You know, that led to a period of pretty intense depression, anxiety. Um, I had a, had a full-on breakdown at the end of those three months, like, like hysterical crying for a good few hours when, when I saw some friends, yeah. a lot of stuff came up to be released. And, um, you know, that was one of the most, I'd still say to this day, it's probably the most empowering thing I've, I've been through. Um, that, that breakdown and feeling the release afterwards, feeling how much better I felt and just knowing in that moment that, uh, okay, I'm creating this somehow, somehow this is within my power to do something about. And, and that was really it. Um, yeah, then kind of came across, the book The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, I talked about on Kate's podcast, that really kind of brought me into spirituality. It just completely blew my whole paradigm open. You know, I'd been someone who was very kind of, if you want to call it rigid, followed the status quo, very, if not atheist, definitely agnostic, didn't believe in spirituality or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but here was someone telling me so clearly and explaining how I was creating my own suffering through identifying with my mind and how I wasn't my mind. And I just knew in that moment, and when I started to understand ego and see all these sort of parallels between sort of ego and trauma and suffering and kind of what's happening in the world, because I was passionate about this stuff before, you know, like the environment, like a lot of a lot of us young people are, a lot of people are actually, full stop. Mm -hmm. 
I really just something clicked in me in the moment that that was what I had to do. That that this was somehow um, what I felt was 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 the pathway, if not all the answers, at least the pathway, you know, for us to kind of find a way out of the mess that, that we're in, basically. And and I felt that that was that was what I could do was start start getting that out there. You know, it wasn't a a rapid overnight thing where I knew that was where I wanted to be a coach. Coaching wasn't even on my mind. You know, I was just like, oh, I need to get this out there. Maybe a blog, something like that. Um, I was terrified of what people thought of me a year ago, a year and a bit ago. I couldn't even share stuff on Facebook. Um, and let alone the thought of doing videos was, was terrifying. But it was just a gradual letting go. You know, I don't know if you've heard of the book Surrender Experiment or read it by, uh, by Michael Singer. He talks about this process of surrendering your resistance, surrendering yourself to kind of this, this inner calling, this higher kind of version almost. And, and that's really what, what's happened. And yeah, it, uh, it brought me to an online business community that brought me to my coach that I then surrendered and signed with my coach. And, and yeah, here we are kind of nine months after doing that and, and then speaking to you basically. So. That's a, it's a funny metaphor. You said nine months after that, cause that's like the whole uh, cycle of birth. Like that's how long it takes. Um, that's kind of funny. There, there's something, um, you mentioned, and I think you also mentioned it on uh, other platforms about um, when you were younger, or even if it was only like three or four years ago, whatever, it's how you doubted yourself, anxious, stress, all this, you know. Um, there's this book that I was thinking about while I was listening to uh, your podcast uh, with Cade. It's called uh, CPTSD, From Surviving to Thriving, and it's about how when you're a child, an adolescence, or whatever, nature and nurture has such an effect on who you are and who you will be um that it's inescapable and it, it talks a lot about how your your parents and your family can kind of really screw you up um but also does talk about how nature kind of screws you up too and it was very eye-opening now i it was recommended to me by a friend i do not suffer from cptsd as far as i know anyway um but it was still very interesting to read and you speaking about how you felt in the past has reminded me about the book because when people read this or get involved into uh, finding out what CPTSD is, complex PTSD, they um they have like a revelation like, well, okay, so this entire time I've been blaming myself for feeling this way since I was like born, but then reading this book and then opening up into like spirituality and opening up into like uh like a uh, medical based books when it talks about like uh, the brain, they start to learn really who they are and why they are. Um, and uh, you just reminded me a lot about that, but I'd love for you to comment on that. But I also want, want to ask, um, cause I've had this problem was I'll, I've heard the book, the power of now, like four times in the last three days. Like it's my, I think my girlfriend read it. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Um, and it's on my list, but the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, all right, I got to fucking read this book. But I've come to a point in my life where I've read, a, not a lot, but enough self-help books where I kind of feel like I'm just getting the same things out of each one, and I can't fill my bucket any more than it's already been filled. Yeah. I feel that. I'll come to that first. I think, um, to me, that book is a spiritual book, not a self-help book. Okay. Um, you, know, you might say, well, what's the difference? Because... The way I define spirituality is that it's a journey to know yourself. That's really all it is. You know, I, I don't think that it's a, it's a, we see all these crystals and all these things and people will get a perception of spirituality. I think it's just an inner journey, um, which I guess is, is a lot of what self-help is. But, but you know, I, I would I would say that first of all. 
yes, I think a lot of this stuff gets rehashed and put across in different ways. Um, and this is where you get locked into the danger of constantly consuming stuff without it really doing much of your life, you know? And, and I, I work and speak with people who are in that place where there's, you know, you, I mean, you, you'll know this again, this is part of the, the, the selling culture, the Instagram and adverts. As soon as you start Googling and watching self-help, you're going to be seeing stuff you want to buy everywhere. And we've all fallen into this trap of, of buying loads of courses and stuff that we probably never used. Um, so, you know, that, that's real. And that's why I say the most important thing is always to connect with your inner voice and, and see where that intuition is guiding you. Um, you know, cause that, that will take you life, life will take you to those experiences you need to get to, 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 to find your own growth. That's what, that's what I believe. Um, the, the first part of the question was around trauma, right. And, and sort of what that means. Yeah. Childhood trauma mostly. Yeah. You know, it's funny, increasingly, I didn't start off with this being the intention, but I, it, trauma's really becoming the essence of everything that I do. Um, the majority of people I work with have been through varying levels of, of trauma. I think we all go through trauma. In fact, we all go through trauma, I don't think, to varying degrees, what we call big T or little t trauma. And, and this, you know, there's a lot of spiritual teachings, people like Gabor Mate, who I'm, I'm taking training from at the moment, that talk about suppressed trauma and generational trauma, not just as an individual. We're talking about generations of suppressed trauma that gets passed down. They've shown this in, in mice and, and, and other animals as well, but you know, it gets passed down in generations. It is the root of, of so much of our, of our, of our problems today. Um, coming to understand this. And like you say, you were kind of alluding to starting to realize that going from the cycle of blame and shame, you know, to awakening to, okay, there's a reason why I'm here. And what I'm really learning and, and particularly on this course, but from other things is that, you know, if we think of trauma, trauma, trauma is the Greek word for wound, right? So if we think of literally a flesh wound, it has two characteristics. One of them is that it is very sensitive. You know, it's painful. The open wound is painful to touch. The other characteristic is that it, it forms scar tissue. So it also has this very rigid, hard nature to it. So it's a bit of a paradox that part of it is unfeeling, rigid and hard. But then when you get beneath that, it's extremely sensitive and painful. Um, what it kind of effectively drives us to do is disconnect from ourselves because it's it's our body and our mind and the intelligent infinite intelligence that it, it that it is at the young age where we go through childhood and let's say even something as simple as we get kicked out of the school football team or we get left out of that you know that triggers a memory from our childhood from our early childhood perhaps where our, our mum didn't pick us up because we've been screaming all day and that was really painful right um it, it triggers that and then we start to kind of disconnect from that because we can't process it and then as a defense mechanism we bring in feelings of shame and guilt and we make it about us you know we say because we don't know what else to do i must not be good enough i must not be worthy because that gives us some ability to try and control the situation whereas the reality is most things just happen to us outside of our control um but the mind wants to control everything so it gives it a meaning often the only meaning it can give is that it's about us when it's when it never is so um you know learning this stuff is, is so profound and so important because the very thing that so many of us are running from is actually the gateway, the answer to, to our salvation. You know, it's, it's like what they call the wisdom of trauma. We follow this path back down the other way and that's how we reconnect with ourselves and heal. That what, what you said is what reminded me of it originally when I was listening to you and Cade was, um, how you, uh, compared, you know, how you, uh, deal with situations with, um, 
your mother not picking you up or not getting picked for football. Um, that's what reminded me of it because uh, all of a lot of the problems you face when uh, you're an adult, they do have to do with what you dealt with when you were younger. At least I believe so. I really do believe so. Yeah. Um, and, and the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, oh, okay, this makes sense now because of what mm-hmm. happened back then. Like I, I'm really starting to understand it. Um, I, I kind of want to separate two things and I want to ask you about them because, uh, you keep bringing up, uh, spiritual, spirituality, and I love to talk about, it's the majority of what I talk about with, uh, new people because it's very interesting and everyone has a different opinion on it, but I want to separate and ask you about it. I want to separate religion and spirituality because I've been asking people this question a lot and I say, is religion a form of freedom or a form of control? And I'm not asking because I know the answer. I'm asking because I want to understand what they think. Um, so first, if you can, and then we'll go into the spirituality part of it, which I'll open up. But do you think religion is a form of freedom or a form of control? I would say it's not that black and white. I okay. would say religion is a is a particular methodology, a pathway to freedom that takes basically the essence of of what spirituality, spiritual truth is, and provides a a methodology or, or, you know, a particular guidance or a way to that, that, you know, in itself can be pretty harmless and can therefore be a path to freedom, but very easily becomes a method of control, if that makes sense. And so I think it's not necessarily the religion itself, it's, the, the, the structures, the power structures that the religion sort of starts to become, the people that, that start to use religion, if that makes sense, more than anything else. So do you have or have you ever had a personal relationship with religion? No, no, not no. really. I mean, so I, I went to I went to quite a Christian school, so I, I went to church often and was exposed to, to a lot of Christianity, and but, you know, I was never identified with it. Interesting. I, that, I find that very interesting with um, how kids are... Um, of course, raised in the religion of the household, which isn't uncommon. Like, that's pretty normal. Like, what else are they going to do, right? But um, I, I feel like most uh, people I know raised in one religion usually end up leaving it for another one or just not identifying with one at all. And then comes in spirituality. And I've noticed this thing, and I've noticed it in myself. Um, I, I, I know more spiritual and religious people that I know atheists. I think I might know one atheist. I, I'm not too sure. And I'm, I'm linking agnostic and everything with spirituality because there's a part of them that's like, hey, oh, who knows? Like, right, it could be. But I feel like most humans kind of need something to hold on to, whether that's spirituality, religion, or if, it, if it's karma. Would science. You, science, yeah. So, like, would you agree that a, a human's need something to be like, okay, this is how I could potentially find more answers. Yes, because I think no matter what you decide about life, that's taken on faith. I talk about this a lot. You know, we think, and we've been raised in this very sort of Newtonian physics science world where it's like, this is absolute truth. We can prove this thing absolutely. But I always say, look, you know, these things we take on facts, things like gravity and the earth orbiting the sun, we don't know for a fact that this is always going to happen. Yeah, we can make predictions because we can look and we've dropped that apple from the tree as Newton did a thousand times. And we say, oh, look, because it did it a thousand times, it's going to do it a thousand more, etc." 
well, yeah, we can make that prediction, but we don't know until we really know everything, until we understand the secrets of the universe, how, why it was invented, what drives us, what is this fundamental life force that everybody is trying to figure out. Until we figure that out, and we may never figure that out, mm. everything that we decide is in some way taken as an act of faith, if that makes sense. No, yeah, I, I totally understand level. that. I totally understand that. Um, so, go ahead, go ahead. So, yeah, I, I feel that, you know, particularly with the mind that we've got, it, it's there to try and make some kind of order out of this chaos. And, you know, life is chaos, the universe is chaos, and then creation kind of makes some kind of order out of that chaos. Um, and that's really kind of what, what we are as, as, as creators. So I think that, yeah, finding that thing to kind of, in some way hold on to in some way just just give a sense of, of stability a sense of grounding around which we can we can again create some kind of order from the chaos i think that's a very natural ingrained part of, of who we are do i think that we all need it i would never say that because i'm sure there's some people who, who thrive on absolute chaos and, and and there's always an exception to the rule perhaps but um yeah certainly for most of us i would say so so drawing from that, and you, you, I, I do like how you said that not everyone needs it. And they, they can draw from chaos, but I, I do think that that is just another form of faith. I do think, like, yeah, at, 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 at foundationally, I think everyone is drawing from some kind of, like, beginning. And I, I listen, I could be wrong, and you'd have to do a million case studies, but I do think every person needs something. Um, to be like, okay, this is my reason, and if they don't have that something that they can, that could help help them seek out more answers, then it's kind of oblivion, and they're depressed, and that's when they seek self help, and that's when they seek spirituality. That's when they're like, I need to get better, because if they don't have something, then it's like, okay, it's time to get better. It's either that or, you know, something really depressing could happen. So, drawing from the chance or the premise that people need something to help them find answers. Do you think people also need purpose? And I don't mean purpose as in I need to be this grand superhero that rules the world kind of purpose. I mean people need like a checklist to do every day. Otherwise, could it be very bad for their mental health? Do they need something to get up in the morning for? Yes. It doesn't necessarily need to be, like you say, uh, it's funny enough, actually, a big part of the co my coaching program focuses on this idea of purpose because I think that it's it's a very powerful thing that becomes a fire under us, you know? But a very clear, uh, like you made that distinction, it doesn't necessarily mean a life purpose. You know, I, I, I don't even know if we all have this. If we do, school, our education, our system does a very good job at sucking it out of most people and, and sucking the dreams out of us so that we don't know what we, you know, most people don't even know what they're passionate about. If you say follow what you like, a lot of people don't even know. Um, but purpose, you can have a thousand purposes throughout your day. Your purpose right now, our purpose is sitting here sharing, having this conversation, right? Um, your purpose can be one minute, you know, you can live purposefully by fully immersing yourself in what it is that you're doing and making that your purpose in that moment. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. It's, it's one of my, I recommend it to everybody. Everybody I meet, yeah. I recommend that book too. It's powerful, right? And, yes. and he found meaning, his meaning going through the Holocaust was simply bearing his suffering in a way where it was meaningful. Mm. Like something that seemingly was so meaningless, so obsolete, so pointless, he found meaning in that moment and turned that into something that is, you know, founded logotherapy, which is the type yeah. of therapy that people and, 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 you know, all these kind of things. So, um, yeah, I think to really live a life that is 
you know, powerful and full and enjoyable, we, we, we do need to find some kind of purpose in our day. Um, but we're free to choose what that is. So let me continue adding a uh, man search for meaning because uh, there, I, there's these two quotes from the book. One of them, uh, I don't know if either of them are by him or he just wrote them down or I'm not too sure. But uh, one of them is um, definitely not his. And he said, um, the, this guy, I don't know if I'm going to say it correctly, but he's like, basically all I want is to have deserved my sufferings, which he basically means to say, I'm so depressed and angry and I'm suffering, but have I done enough in my life to be able to be allowed to be sad when all these people are struggling out here? Should I feel shitty about allowing myself to cry or have I deserved the chance to cry right now? And then the other one is my favorite which is any man who has a why could bear almost any how. Meaning if you have a why to live, no matter what you do, you will try to live. And I'd, I'd like your thoughts on the first quote I said, but then on the second one, um, you know, I'll, 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 once, you're, once you're done responding a little bit, I'll try to go back to it because I don't want to overload you. But what, talk yeah, to me. Sure. Yeah, the, the first question I... I, I... I think that there's, and this this is where we, we get into back into this idea of trauma, you know, where we start to compare ourselves and we go, well, you know, I, I so for instance, for me, like, I never really went through anything really serious. Like, you know, my, my trauma was never sort of outwardly something that is this big, massive sob story. And yet I suffered a lot in my life, you know, because it's about perspective. And if you start to get into this, oh, have I earned the right to, to cry, to feel these emotions, to whatever, because... I haven't been through the Holocaust. I haven't been through sexual abuse or whatever. I think that it kind of misses the point because suffering is, is, a, is an individual experiential thing, you know, derived by our own perspective. Um, so, you know, I would say that whatever you've been, just simply being alive earns you the right to, to feel your emotions. I think that emotions, you know, um, to, to, to surrender and, and feeling, feeling these things, that really is, is the essence of what healing is, you know, is stopping to resist what comes up and um, you know what we do in a, what we do to try and protect ourselves from pain from suffering is close off but all that does is keep it trapped there and then it keeps you know manifesting and affecting us so yeah um i, I think no, no matter what simply being here we we, we earn the right and um, taking from that quote to to feel feel our pain and surrender to it definitely okay i, I there's of course no right answer and i i did want your opinion um because that that's kind of I haven't known that quote my whole life, but it has you know kind of haunted me. Where I'm like, am I really upset about this right now? And sometimes I I try to like go lay down on my bed when it's time to sleep and be like everything's okay because at least I have it better than this person or that person. And I don't say that in yeah. a malicious way. I tr I try to say that in a don't worry, it could be worse. However, sometimes that doesn't work. But Let's not. I don't want to open that too much, but I, I do want to. Sorry, just I do want to add something to that ahead, because I think there's a big difference between feeling and wallowing. Okay. You know, yep. I would definitely say that if you're getting into the situation of "oh, I'm such a victim," poor me, poor me, that's a situation where you want to take a bit of a look at yourself and go, "Yeah, actually, is what I'm going through." You know, I know it just sounds a little bit like I'm contradicting what I just said, but the point is, is to feel and release, not sit there and wallow and play over the stories and play over the victim card. That That's the key thing. I want to, I want to make the distinction. There. Well, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Thank you for, for saying that. Um, so with the, um, the why versus the how thing, um, and again, sorry to any of my regular listeners. I bring this up all the time, but I do think, uh, it helps me explain myself. Um, I, 
when people don't know what to do with their lives, which is most people, <laughs> including myself, right? Um, and but I usually say this to to younger people when people don't really know what to do with their lives. I I, I ask them a few questions. The the first one um, isn't really a question. It's just a how do you navigate what you want to do? I say to them, if you're really struggling, if if you can't explore or experiment anymore, ask yourself this simple question. Do I want to make life worth it or do I want to make life possible? And you can get a mixture of both, but once once you're able to answer which one's more important, then you've narrowed down what you're going to enjoy out of life more. And what makes life possible is being a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, um, a teacher, what makes life worth it is being an artist, uh, um, a an actor. It could be also a teacher because there's a mix of both, uh, a life coach, right? Once you're able to answer that question a little bit, then you're like, okay, I kind of understand who I am a little bit better and I can make some assumptions off of that. And then once they ask themselves that question, I, I then say this. Okay, so here's the question then after you figure that out. So I asked them, how do you live? And the answer is, you know, usually, by any means necessary. And then the other question is, why do you live? And even after having a huge conversation with these people, and even after knowing them for months, they still can't answer the why. And I know, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because previously, like five minutes ago, um, you said how your why or your purpose could be a million different things in one day. But I do feel like that's a hard thing to accept as your purpose because a lot of people, including myself, we want to feel like we have a, a, a bigger reason, whether that's raising a child or building this house. But I think we all get lost because eventually our purpose will end and we will have to find another purpose. So if I was one of your clients and I said to you, um, Tobias, I... I cannot find my why, and I've been trying way too hard. What's something you'd be able to say to me? What's one thing that you care about in the world? Are you asking me or is that rhetorical? I'm asking you. Okay. So it, it kind of is rhetorical, but what, what is, let's say, like role-playing this? Okay, okay, let's role-play. one okay. thing that you care about in the world that's, that's not being addressed? That's not being addressed. Or, or that's not being addressed. Let's just leave it at that. What, what's one thing that you care about in the world? Hmm. I guess that makes it hard too, because uh, as although I don't talk about it much, I do care about a lot of things, or I do find a lot of things very interesting. But I think, okay, I'm gonna answer you, but I want it to be known that this is a very hard question to answer, and my answer will be different in in a week from now, because that's probably how long yeah. it would take for me to really answer this. But it, in the, for the sake of us being on a podcast, um, I will say what has mattered to me in the past. And I, when I was, I think, 11, 14, 13, I don't know. I was um, sitting in my bedroom, sick, really sick. I was 40, 40 days out of the year, I was sick every school year. I, horrible, right? Um, I had a great time though. I was sitting at home eating snacks and shit. So it was great for me, but my parents were like, why is my son dying? Anyway, I, I remember sitting in my bed and I watched this movie called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Um, and I loved it. And I'm not saying it's this grand, spectacular movie. In fact, most people don't even know it exists. But it made me feel something. And it was at that moment 
I, I said to myself, a little kid, I said, one day I want to make a little kid feel the way I do right now. So I think what matters to me is how children perceive and are brought up into this world. I think that matters a lot because that changes what the world becomes. I love that. Yeah. So the, re- the reason why I, I asked that question and, and just kind of carrying on that whole thing, I mean, we can take this with, with what anyone would say, right? With the way coaching is, you know, I would never turn around and then say, okay, here's what you should do. You should go and do this. It's more about asking questions and helping you, you find that. Mm-hmm. But I think that so much of discovering some kind of why, something to live for, comes down to learning to dream again, learning to actually think about these big things like that, that, that situation there. You know, how many of us can remember when we were younger, all these cliches that you think about kids talking about wanting to be a fire, fireman, fire person, or an astronaut, all these kind of things, right? There's some kind of wonder and there's some kind of spectacle, there's some kind of dream behind that, that, that somewhere on the, on the, along the line gets sucked out of us. But pretty much everybody today, really, at some level, unless you, you completely descend into nihilism and just lose all, all hope, it's a slightly different approach then. But, but everybody, I would say today, in, in most people today, are passionate about something in the world, whether that's the environment, whether that's dogs or something like this. And, and um, you know, I've seen this in my journey. I've seen it in, in friends and other people. There is this side where it's like, well... It's not, what, what can I do about it? You know, this kind of thing. And there's this fear of, of almost going for something that big because there is this imposter syndrome side of thing, which again, a lot of it is down to cultural conditioning because we're, we're told almost that life has to exist within these sort of narrow, rigid, you know, limitations of going to get a normal job and a normal whatever. whatever. In some way, we are all affected by this conditioning. And so... Um, what I'm basically getting to here is a quote that I, that I live by, which is get a mission, not a career. And that was, that was something that really helped change my life because we're, we're conditioned to go and get a career. A career is something that we do to play it safe. We're building structure and security. We're, we're, we're making sure that we are okay, basically. A mission is something that is, there is no guarantee of success. There is no actual sort of outcome, but it is something that we know we are passionate about and that if we commit to, you know, we find ourselves in a situation where, and this is another quote I want to, want to share, which is your dreams should scare you a little and, and excite you a lot, you know? And that's really where we get into a why, which which can be extremely purposeful, which can be um, something to, to really, really kind of lift you up, um, where you start to think about, well, actually, what, what would I do here that, that's kind of not being done? And actually get a bit excited about it and dream about it. Of course, there's then the other, the extra layer that you've got to kind of work through the limitations that are stopping that person from going from it for that thing. And, and that's doable. Anyone can work through those limitations. Um, but the first step is actually kind of starting to think, oh, okay, it is actually kind of possible that there could be something out there for me, you know, if, if I can work through my own shit to find the confidence to believe I can go for that, for example, or something like that. So that's kind of one approach that, that I would take. What, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. I, there's something you were saying, like that whole thing that you just said made me think of uh, something different, and I, and I want to get that, get to that, um, but then you were like, oh, what do you think about this? I'm like, oh, fuck, now, like, I really got to, like, think of two, like, oh, what do I do now? Um, maybe, maybe by me saying this will, will help you under, understand how I feel about what you just said. Um, I don't know what it's like in the UK. 
Um, is that appropriate? Can I say UK or is it just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. Yeah. Okay. United Kingdom, Britain. I don't. I, I really don't know. Every every month, I have to look up the difference <laughs> between all this shit. It confuses the yeah. hell out of me. Anyway, um, so I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I, I've been making this odd, odd observation in America, and I think it's happening worldwide. But I only live in America, so I can only talk about where I live. Um, I I see. Um, the the way little boys and little girls are growing up right now with uh, the internet, and little boys are being told that they're like too much. They're doing too much. They're they're um they're taking too much away from these people, from that people, and they're not that great. And we got to change you. We got to fix you. Um, in some scenarios, the way we raise little boys can be better. In some scenarios, the way we raise little girls can be better. But so that's what's happening with boys. And then with little girls, we are expecting them to do a lot, like a lot, like be a businesswoman, be a CEO, um, but then also get your, get a nursing degree and then have children. And it's like, we're, we're reducing what boys are and we're maximizing it or exceedingly maximizing what girls are. And it's making both genders really, really depressed. And, I, I imagine that in a world where this is going on and it doesn't look like it's slowing down, I wonder who these children are going to be like when they're our age. Like only, only like, what, 15 years in the future. And then additionally, I, I make this one, one more observation, which might be a little too much for some people. I'm going to say it anyway. Evolutionarily... Um, a man's purpose is to keep the woman to uh, keep the woman alive. Evolutionarily, the woman's purpose is to produce the next generation and to make sure the generation lives long enough to to, to sustain itself. In America, like I keep saying, it's probably worldwide, but I'm going to stay to America. Um, in America, um, we've done this phenomenal thing, like many first world countries, where we've been able to allow and give women many chances and opportunities. And I think that's fabulous. There's a quote, and there's an actual term for it, I think economics, where it's um, you can judge the wealth of a nation by the progress of the women or vice versa. And that's true. I mean, like, the better a nation does, that also means the better the women are doing. It, that, it, that's just how it works. And because women are doing so amazing, which I don't want to take away at all, I feel like a lot of men are now needing to find a new purpose that's not providing for someone other than themselves. And then I also think women have to not find purpose, but understand that they don't need to save the world, that they can be who they need to be as well. So with all this happening, and and I know I'm kind of getting lost in what this is and what that is and what you were talking about, what I'm talking about, but I feel like this is kind of where we are in this little orb. Hmm. Do you see this getting worse, better, or is this just going to be the new normal? I'm, I, I, yeah, I can't wait to dive into this. Is, this is such a huge and important topic, and it's something that you are right because of identity politics and this sort of gender balance, balance sization <laughs> that we're yeah, kind well, of yeah. seeing. You know, um, what we're talking about here is masculine and feminine energy. Mm-hmm. You know, have you, you've heard of this, right? That you think of a polarity, a battery has positive and negatively charged. Um, everything, everything in this reality has polarity about it. 
including men and women as, as the, the sort of the divine the divine essence when we talk about masculine feminine energy people automatically associate that with with gender with sex and it, it becomes this big thing all we're really talking about is sort of two sides of the same coin that when they come together it forms the whole right yeah masculine energy in its nature is like the tree it is the sort of the driving sort of the force that, that sort of goes outward it's the yang yin and yang is the same kind of thing feminine energy is the nurturing the, the, the sort of the earth, the water, the nutrients, et cetera, that sort of molds to that masculine energy, to that frame, um, and flows, you know, provides the flow, the, the flow, fluidity, all this stuff. The problem with saying stuff like this today is that masculine energy has been suppressing feminine energy for so long globally, because I believe it's because it was afraid of the power of feminine energy, and um, generally, kind down the past, you know, egoic men, men too identified with their ego, um, is afraid of the divine, of, I don't want to use too many sort of esoteric words, but, but was afraid of the kind of the, the, the nurturing nature of a feminine energy because it takes away the, the power to control that, you know, unchecked masculine ego has basically, right? Mm-hmm. Because of this suppression, what we're seeing is, is that the answer, the perceived answer was, it's almost like, oh, masculine energy, this idea of going, going, go-getting and all this stuff is therefore better and so the answer is to kind of pull this down in men and to make women more what we call masculine. And, you know, it's difficult talking about this because people start to get, there's been this kind of thing of like, you know, anything, anything you can do, I can do anything men can do, women can do. There's no black and white to this, but it's like, it's not fundamentally true because it's not true either way. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there's things that biologically, um, and we're not talking about gender here because gender is something that, by all accounts today is like more of a personal choice or felt inwardly. We're talking about, about sex and, and biology, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say masculine energy was, was afraid of feminine energy, I, I, I look at a lot of this in, in a spiritual sense. And there's a lot of uh, the Mayan calendars, one one example. There's another one in, in East India, which kind of talks about, I don't want to get too esoteric here, but our proximity to Sirius and how this coincides with the kind of the rise and fall of the level of consciousness on the planet. And, and I think that for a while we've had a pretty low level of consciousness when we're more identified with sort of our base you know what we call what ego our sort of base desires and instincts this is what has been why masculine energy has sort of dominated and led so much and as it, at its nature i think feminine energy is more tapped into intuition and the understanding that we are all connected and that things like nurturing and these mm. kind of things are not weak but actually the opposite and are actually very strong and empower us as a society that's why i say masculine energy was afraid of that because it was very egocentric and and more about separation rather than it saw this sort of nurturing togetherness as, as a threat to that that's a big rabbit hole to get down in itself i think i understand that. what i'm kind of what i'm kind of getting at here is, is that what we're seeing is this is this again depolarization of energy Energy polarity is what creates attraction in relationship, is what creates sexual attraction. You know, this is, if you, if you look into how this works, this is generally, and bearing in mind, right, this is masculine feminine energy. You can be more feminine as a man. You can be more masculine as a woman. This is more about natural inner energies. It would almost help if we stopped thinking of it as masculine and feminine and start thinking of it as two sides of a battery, you know, that kind of thing, and remove those words altogether. And um, of course, naturally, we do normally see most men are more masculine and most women are more feminine, but it's not always the case. Um, what matters is, is what is your core inner energy and are you in alignment with that? If you are not in alignment with that, um, and a lot of people aren't today because, as, as again, as men, we are being told 
because of toxic masculinity that any kind of masculine trait is therefore bad. And so most men don't even know what it means to be a man anymore, which I think we were getting at. And then as a woman, there's this idea that being feminine is somehow weak and therefore you need to be masculine. You need to go and put on a suit and all these kind of things and, and, and do all of these things in this very, what is, what has been a pretty toxic masculine energy centric world, you know, and rather than focusing on the fact that there is no, better or worse there's sort of beautiful and amazing things about both of them and and you know what is your sort of inner divine energy and how can you connect with that how can you embody that in a conscious way not a toxic way wow. that's what really matters wow yeah I, I i like how you put everything just now and at the at the tail end of that how you said um you kind of said a few times um how one put together it's like oh my gosh this this union this like how both men and women uh no matter where you are in the LGBT, uh, like, spectrum, like, we need each other, right? And um, I was watching this thing on YouTube where people are arguing about um, marriage. I think it was marriage. I'm not too sure. But I, I didn't even pick up on what the YouTube was about. But this one kid said something, which I thought was really cool, where he said, um, I believe uh, men and women are beautiful, because of how much they need each other. And it's just like the creation of continuous life. That is beautiful. And you can't get that without one or the other. No matter how much we may end up hating each other. No matter how much um, we may end up being on different sides of society. At the end of the day, we need each other. And I also like how you talked about just now um, the energy a woman has. And bringing that femininity into the world. And how it connects us. And that almost gave me the chills because I'm like, I've never done psychedelics. I'd love to, haven't gotten the chance. And I'm a little scared of it, to be honest. But the way you talked about the energy a woman has, I find that so in- interesting um, because, and I'm going to take the soapbox for a little bit because there's this story I tell to try to explain to people what I think like energy is, what I think spirituality is, what I think like... DMT, acid, psilocybin, what I think it all is. And the way I do it is I tell them a little story or ask them a few questions. And I, and I say, okay, so animals have instincts, right? And the answer is, yeah, well, yeah, of course they have instincts. All right, cool, cool, cool. So humans are animals or, or were at least once animals or whatever. And there's a, we should or we might still have a little bit of instinct. Well, maybe, yeah, okay. Okay, cool. So let's, let's say that we at least once had instinct. And like, okay. I feel like if you look at the um, the Eastern world, which is like uh, Europe, Asia, Russia, like Asia's not Russia, Asia is the continent, but um, all the Africa, like everything over there. And then you look at the Western world with um, like Native Americans and the indigenous uh, uh, populations of South America and everything. You know those stories where they talk about how, oh, Native Americans, they can, they see dead people, they see ghosts, oh, they're talking to whatever and either you believe it or you don't and the way i see it is people that lived on in like european uh side of the world they grew out of the need for instinct because they had technology and then people in the western part of the world they still needed instincts they didn't have the technology and that's why people that are still native or in native tribes can still feel spiritually attached to the world around them, to the plants, to the animals, to the essence of what makes us, us, and existence. And you can see it in children, 
where children will have like six senses. Children will uh, feel more spiritually attached to things. They'll become so intimately attached with their toys and with like plants and their dogs. And then eventually they grow out of it. I feel like if instinct is real, the reason why we don't have it anymore is because we're being poisoned by our technological evolution. I feel like it's one of the reasons why we need to take a break from the phones. We need to fix what the fuck's going on with social media shit and all these companies. And we need to stop arguing with each other and like really just take a look at what's, what's in ourselves. I know you, you push that spirituality and you know you got that meditation. So I really do feel like instinct is real. I do feel like being a mother, having femininity, having giving birth to a goddamn child has a huge part in what makes that spirituality real. And I feel like we need to find a way back to it. Now, this wasn't a question, really. I'm just kind of throwing things I, at you. No, it, it's definitely brought things up. So the way I look at this is actually connecting with the, our other intelligence centers. So we have okay. three intelligence centers in the body, and we forget this. You know, We identify with the mind. We, we start to think in the world that we've got today that we kind of are our mind, and that's the root of so many mental health problems and all this stuff that I was speaking about. Yeah, It's what you were talking about with the rise of technology disconnecting us from our intuition and our instinct. I think there's two different things there, and I'll explain the difference where they are slightly different, but let's just round it up with instinct, as you were saying. We became so identified with the mind and with what rational thought could do and with what all the amazing things we could create with technology, we completely, as we say, disconnected from these other intelligence centers that we've got within us. But I think it's so true. When you look at more indigenous cultures and, and those that are more in tune with nature are do remain connected, they stay in touch with their other two intelligence centers. And the other two intelligence centers are the heart and the gut. There are more neurons firing from the heart to the brain than from the brain to the heart. So for me, that in itself shows hugely how important the heart is. is you know, think with your heart, intuition, wow. all these kind of things. There's places like the Heart Math Institute, which are showing through scans that we emit our own electromagnetic frequency from our heart and that we read energy of the, the quantum realm. And remember, everything is just energy vibrating at different frequencies we read that energy through our heart. So our heart is almost like this sort of this drum that sort of emits energy and kind of reads the energy of the wider world. This is what I see as intuition, wisdom, in a kind of knowing through kind of reading these energetic signals. That's kind of my take on it. Oh, Instinct yeah. is, is more is more gut related. We can come, we can come back to that because I'd, I'd love to discuss that because that's not necessarily, it's, it's kind of partly cutting edge science, partly my own take on it. Instinct is is what we call about the, the gut, the microbiome, you know, and, and this is showing that there's millions and millions of microorganisms that are alive in the gut that are communicating with us. Um, and this is where a lot of our sort of survival instincts are held. You know, if, if we look at it in spiritual terms, it's about sort of lower chakras, these kind of things. And when you get your sort of your gut feeling, this is generally associated with safety and security. Heart wisdom is more about, again, sort of intuition where where it is that you kind of your soul is calling you to these kind of things and then the mind is is almost primarily its sole sole function is to keep us alive and then you know build and create things to manipulate our environment to, to aid that process basically that's my breakdown of the three kind of intelligence centers but what we, what were you going to say Sorry. well i was going to say wow and i think it would be incredible to know but like not to think and not to maybe but to know for a fact, like we teach this to our preschoolers, I would love to know that this stuff is so real that we have more tools than just our teeth and our hands. We can manipulate our 
uh, environment or, or internal environment with these different, uh, those three different things you were just talking about. I think having that extra tool on my person through just nature would be incredible to know about. And I understand why people are like, hey, Mark, you got to start drinking kombucha and stuff. But <laughs> I want to ask if that's the case that we are more attached to ourselves than we realize, or we have the potential to be more attached to ourselves and nature and spirituality than we realize. What do you think it was, if it is technology, what do you think it was that removed us from having all that stuff? And why would we make that choice or why would our evolution allow us to change? Yeah, this is, this is another huge Question. So the, now we're getting down the topic of ancient civilizations and a global cataclysm from thousands of years ago. I don't know if you're aware of the work <laughs> of Graham Hancock. I'm 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 currently <laughs> reading America Before. Currently. Okay, so you you're aware of like don't the eat- English period, yeah. his prophecy, and it's it's you know we look around, we see the pyramids, we know now that the Sphinx is more like nine, ten thousand years old rather than the sort of two, three thousand years old that we've been taught because of water erosion. We're finding Quebec Tepe. We know that these things that we still don't know how they built today were around they're very, very aligned to sort of, you know, very precise science, all of these kind of things. So it's pretty obvious when you look into this that there were some pretty advanced ancient civilizations that we still don't really understand that had a lot of a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge. We know, for instance, as well, a lot of the Greeks went over to schools in, in Egypt to kind of learn a lot of these kind of mystic sciences and stuff, right? My take on it is that, and I, you know, I like Graham Hancock's quote, is that we're a species with amnesia. You know, it's, it's mm. that something happened along the way that completely wiped out so much of, of who we were and, and what we were, you know, um, and, and a lot of thought and memory of that. Um, leaving only some of these big structures remaining. And then obviously over time, it becomes myth and legend. And we just we just fundamentally became disconnected from ourselves. Um, and, and I think that the other thing I find really interesting is going back to that Mayan calendar. And there's another one in India, which backs us up. There's a sort of 12 and a something thousand year cycle. This is a little bit more esoteric, so people may not buy into this, but I, I really like it. That basically it's, it's our cycle to Sirius, which is our next nearest star to the sun. If, if everything is energy, right, and, and um, the sun is naturally like our main source of life force energy, um, it kind of makes sense to me that the closer we get to that, to another source of, of life force energy, that is directly in correlation to kind of our consciousness level, right? And so we've been getting further and further away from that up until 2012, which is when we were at our furthest point away from Sirius, um, and therefore, our consciousness was kind of lowering. And this is what these these calendars, this, this this idea from India says. I can't remember what it's called. But as we get closer again, the consciousness level rises. I think my take on it is this is why since 2012, we're seeing so many of the old structures collapse. We're seeing people waking up. We're seeing, you know, people connecting with their psychic abilities. All of these kind of things are coming to the fore as we come closer to this, this, this planet is serious and the consciousness level of the planet rises. It's a pretty esoteric idea, but I, I really, really find You're it blowing my mind, though. You're, like, blowing my mind. <laughs> like, I want this shit to be true. Well, okay, then what happens when we're, when we're as close as we can get to it? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Pretty mystical, right? That, I have no idea. But, that scares me. Uh, you know, the, the idea is... Let's look at the ballistic of the pyramid, right? Okay. This is something where... It is so precise, we couldn't build this today. We couldn't build it today. The story is that they use ramps and pulleys. And another quote from Graham Hancock, 
the ramp would have needed to be a fucking long ramp. It would have needed to be way bigger than the pyramids to put oh, the yeah. largest blocks at the top. Yeah. It would still be there, you know? So how did they build this? Well, is it so obscene? Is it so absurd to think if we are all connected, which we're now showing that we are, everything is energy, all this stuff again. Is it that crazy to think that it's impossible to use things like telepathy and things like that. I mean, mm. look, it sounds crazy currently. And if you try and sell it to the mainstream, you're going to be shot down pretty quickly. You hear about a lot of people yeah. claiming powers like this, claiming stuff like this is, is true and possible. You know, what if that kind of stuff is what starts happening? I don't know. Uh, it's nice to think about. I don't think it's let, let me, look, point getting let to me ask something then real quick, real quick. Cause if that, like, and like I keep saying, I, I want to believe if, if if you think that that's, there's a chance, because of course there's a chance for everything. If someone ever says they know, I can't talk to them. If there's a chance that that was true, okay, why don't you think that past civilizations wouldn't have or didn't become as technologically advanced as us? Or at least they didn't produce and create cities like we did. Which I know Graham Hancock kind of talks about how we, we kind of did, but I, I I feel like if that was the case where we were so, like, almost godlike or more connected to each other, I feel like the planet would look a lot different. Or maybe it is the case that we were so connected that we knew yeah. we didn't have to. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, my, my take on that is that, you know, we think we're so advanced today today because we can create plastics and the atomic bomb and all of these things. Well, it's not very intelligent, a lot of these things, because they're destroying the planet that we live on. I think if we were as advanced and as consciously connected as you know it puts forth that these civilizations were would we be creating stuff like plastics probably not would we be creating you know um cities and stuff that, that kind of you know scar and mark the landscape so much that they're still there i'm not sure the other side to it is look at the younger driest cataclysm but we now know happens between twelve thousand eight hundred and thirteen thousand six hundred years ago something like this we know that a fragment of a giant comet hit, hit the Earth and that it was just total carnage for like a 1,100-year period. Like literally we're talking cataclysmic floods, we're talking mass extinction events. You know, all of this stuff is now being shown to be what happened. And um, it's also interesting that nearly every culture around the world has the story of a great flood around the same time. It's not just Noah's Ark, it's pretty much everywhere around the world. Everybody's also afraid of comets. Why would we be afraid of comets unless something had happened, you know, in our history to make us afraid of them? So the, the argument Graham puts forward and, and that I buy into and that, you know, a lot of this stuff seems to show is that it was wiped off the face of the earth other than some areas like the pyramids um, and, and, and Egypt and, and you know, and, uh, South, uh, yeah. built a little bit afterwards. I'm, uh, I like live for this stuff, by the way. I, if, okay, I want to, because I want to mention how you just said all this stuff that we fear or we write about in our ancient books. I'm like, there's a chance that it all happened. Why else would this happen? Why else would we feel this way? There's this um, other thing that really scares me. And a lot of like cryptid and a lot of like um, ghost story TikToks talk about this. Um, and I don't, I follow, I think like 15 people on TikTok. It's all my like, uh, my uh, podcast guest, basically. Um, I, this scares me, and I don't, I haven't done any research into it, but do you know what the, um, the Uncanny Valley is? I actually don't know. Okay. So, the Uncanny Valley isn't an actual place. It's just 
it's a it's a graph, and the reason why I call it a valley because it'll go up on the graph, and then it'll dip, and then it'll go back up. So that's the valley; it dips. And what it shows is that you can look at a, a teddy bear, you can look at a doll, you can look at a baby, and it, the graph keeps rising. And those are all normal things to look at. But eventually, eventually, something looks semi-human but not totally human and it drops and that means we are afraid of it we are so afraid of it that we can literally in our gut our instinct we can tell it's not human why is that a natural fear every single human has to know that something looks kind of human but isn't completely human look up the uncanny valley for anybody listening it's scary why do you think we have an innate fear of something that is partially but not wholly human i love this question um now we're getting down ufos right yeah <laughs> bro, like that that is scary now, we know they've come and admitted that ufos are real you know you only need to look into a lot of this stuff that again we don't know for sure that there's aliens out there but we do know ufos are real and that some of these videos that you can see cia they've admitted it they've announced it some pretty freaky stuff that we that they don't understand how it works um who knows? I, I need to look into that, you know, maybe. It, it. My take on it, though, is that we have been gently, very steadily conditioned today for, you know, since they landed on the moon, to associate aliens with bad, with invasion, with, you know, every single alien film out there is some kind of alien threat. They're going to come and invade us and they're going to come and, you know, attack us and probe us and this kind of thing. And this social conditioning has gone on to make us naturally fear them. That's kind of my, my take on it. But I don't know where exactly you live in the UK, but I, I did interview a UFO researcher from the UK. It's on my channel, but uh, you should go go to his Instagram and go to his shit. And I, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but take a look at him and see if you get in touch with him because I'm sure you'd love to have a conversation with him. But continue with what you're saying. I'm sorry. That'd be cool. No, no, that, that's cool. I mean, yeah, you know, that, that was kind of, I was just voicing out loud there. I mean, basically, I'm getting this from the documentary Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind on Amazon Prime. Really recommend watching it. Is this ex-CIA researcher, I believe, who basically is, you know, swears by it, swears that we come into contact with aliens, swears that there's some that are living here already, um, and the, that he has this meditation to connect with them. The idea is, is that they are interdimensional, conscious, highly like crazy beings that, um, you know, whether you buy into that or not, it's still a really interesting watch. The thing that he does put forward really well is that we have very clearly been conditioned for quite a long time to associate the idea of aliens with threat, you know, and that yeah. we're, there's, there's this idea of the alien war, Trump's space force, you know, <laughs> these kind of things. Gradually, it, it's been this conditioning to associate it with a threat, you know, instead of with maybe anything that is that capable or anything that is capable enough to, to travel here understands that the universe is all connected, that we're all from the same source and that therefore you know, they're not a threat to us. What and that the therefore fuck? they are a threat to the system that's controlling us. What the fuck is going on? Like, what? What is this shit, bro? I'm it's not. Crazy it's times right it's now, fucking it? crazy. First, this, first of all, this this episode should never have gotten over here. I don't know how this happened. This shit drives me insane. It's also what, like, eight thirty by you right now, like PM. Yeah. Okay. So I, don't, I don't. I don't want to keep you too long. The, oh my gosh, Tobias. Like, I. What I think is really cool about doing this podcast and being on social media and stuff is that I've actually, and I, I, I haven't realized till about a month ago, but I've actually really been benefiting from talking to so many b- different people and consuming 
their yeah. ideologies. And I think that's really cool. But also, it's made me such a fucking loon. Like, <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm talking about a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. And, like, I got to, like, sew my mouth shut, like, this Thanksgiving. Well, that's an American holiday. But this Thanksgiving yes. in, in, in America, like, I, I'm not going to be able to talk to my family. Like, I'm a crazy man. Um, yeah, but it's so cool. Why do you think? Why do you think it's all just flown out of me here? You know, yeah, yeah. Time, man, so. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. Though. I love talking about it because I feel like, and I, and I heard somebody say this recently, where it's like, not that we're you know on the edge of what isn't is not allowed to be said in free speech, but I, someone said that um, if you don't push the limits of free speech, then you're not using it correctly. And I feel like although we're not pushing the limits of free speech right now. I feel like if we don't talk about this crazy shit, then it, it's we're never going to find the answers, you yeah. know? But yeah, I also yeah, yeah. think it's very important for us to say, which I say almost every single episode, if you're coming to us for news, you're a fucking <laughs> idiot, okay? <laughs> Not here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Nobody has a clue. No one has a clue. <laughs> nobody has a clue. Nobody has a clue. Fuck, man. Well, Tobias, I think it all connects... I think um, talking whether it's about aliens or Egypt or fucking what happened twenty thousand years ago or uh, femininity, masculinity, mothers, fathers, you and I, gut biome, brain, heart, it all sounds like it's coming from the same fucking book. It's all connected, and I do believe I'm. When it comes to being a skeptic, I'm a skeptic, a skeptic about of about a lot of things, but I also want to believe in everything. So I'm kind of an idiot. I'm kind of dangerous, but. <laughs> I, out of all the things I can believe in or all the things I can accept without trying to put it, put up too much of, of a fight, I do think that every single thing in existence is connected, not only in our assumptions, but scientifically when it comes to atoms and stuff. So I do think we're all connected. Um, and this was a great episode. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for, for your going deep with me and uh, asking this question. I, I, absolutely. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to ask you like in a couple months to do this again. And we're just going to pick yeah, one, we'll do it, just sure. one of the things we just talked about the whole episode, just on that. Yeah. Fuck bro. I'm, sure. I, I'm so upset. I have to end this, but you know, of course that we do have time restraints guys. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us. Seriously. Like this, I'm going to throw up now. I'm going to log off and I'm going to go dry. <laughs> heave in the bathroom. Um, check out all Tobias's stuff in the description go check him out like go talk to him go message him go uh, like his stuff comment on his stuff tiktok instagram all this shit i mean like clearly we're having a great time i don't see why you wouldn't have a great time too so go check out his stuff and uh we will check you out on the next one check you out we'll see you on the next one uh peace guys